Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Hello. Hello to you. How is Hello life? Hello to hot Phoenix. Well, thank you. It is hot here. Uh, How hot? Yeah, I, I decided to go outside and fry up some eggs on the sidewalk today instead of in the frying pan. It worked oh, well. I remember those days. They're long, 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 long <laughs> days. Long, 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 long summer. Thank you for rubbing that in. Appreciate it. Hey. What a free world. You live wherever you want. <laughs> what a friend's for, right? <laughs> How's the summer been in Oslo? It is spectacular. I'm I'm just about to quit out of Facebook because I can't stand watching all the pictures of 30 degrees centigrade weather and yeah, it's beautiful. Well, today we've got a, an interesting guest. Goes with my thesis of fractional investing and do-it-yourself investing and power to the people. It is a, um, the company's called Masterworks. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. Well, Scott Lynn's a, a, a really great entrepreneur introduced to me by Joe Marchese, who we had on the podcast recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, he splits time East Coast and uh, Colorado and started Masterworks, which is a fractional, you know, they securitize fine art. And I'm an art collector. You're kind of into this stuff. So I want to just hear the ups, the downs, the how it works and how people can collect uh, and create diversification in their portfolios by owning rare uh, pieces of art. How does that sound? This sounds really interesting. Looking forward to this. All right, let's get them on the phone. All right. Hello, Scott. Hey, Howard. Are you in uh, Colorado or back east? Back east now. How about oh, you? Nice. I'm in San Diego still. I think that's where I chatted with you last time. And you were out uh, west in Colorado hiding out from the, the virus. And, and so you're back in the city? Yeah. Yeah, back in the city. I came back with uh, with Joe and the whole crew on on Sunday. Um, you know, it's definitely, it's funny that Colorado now is, is basically open and normal. New York does, does not feel that way at all. Um, kind of tale of two, two different cities, I guess. But anyway... Um, what else is going on? Not much. I wanted to today just give our my audience uh, a chance to you know they've heard about they've heard from Rob at Rally Road. We talk about Robin Hood all the time. We talk about investing, and I'm an art fanatic, and so I randomly got hooked up with you through Joe, and I didn't know you had started Masterwork, so I just wanted to go deep on that, if that's okay. Yeah, totally. I love art, but I, 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 I don't know the first thing about art. I like what I see. I like what I can afford. I like what may look good in my home. So talk a little bit about the art market in general and what got you fascinated. Okay. Yeah, happy to, happy to do that. Um, so the way to think about the art market today is it's, it's, a, it's a roughly $1.7 trillion asset class. That's a number that's, that's published by Deloitte and has been confirmed by Sotheby's. Um, each year in, in 2019, roughly $68 billion in art sold. Um, so it's a, it's a very large asset class, but the reason, the reason I found a masterworks and I guess the way that we think about it today is there, there really hasn't been a way to allocate to art other than to purchase a multimillion dollar painting. 
Um, so that's why Masterworks was was started, and and our, our vision for the business is selling shares in these investment grade multi million dollar paintings. And what got you excited about art? You know, I get that question a lot. I, I personally got into art um, very young age. You know, probably. 19, 20 years old, um, just after starting my first, my first company in the late, the late 1990s. Um, my mom was an amateur artist. I grew up with art books. So I always, I always found art really interesting, but, um, you know, at that point in time, there, there wasn't, I, I guess there was an art market, but there wasn't, um, the sophistication, uh, that you have in the market today. I, I think information was, was missing. So for example, the first time price databases were really published on the art market was in the early, early 2000s. So up until then, collectors didn't even really have a data source to go to to understand returns in the art market. Um, so today, I think you have a lot of people that, that collect who are investment-minded, um, but that was probably very different 20, 20 years ago. Do you remember the first piece you ever bought that you were like, okay, like it didn't have to be expensive, but like the first piece that you just were in love with? You know, I, um, so the, the first great painting I ever bought myself was a painting, uh, painting titled, uh, Le Pont Neuf by, by an artist named Mark Chagall, who, who many of your listeners probably know that that was my first great painting. I, I, I bought lots of things before that, that, that weren't so great and that, that didn't wind up being great investments like, um, like Picasso, uh, ceramics, which, which are sort of addition pieces that sell for, you know, two to two to twenty thousand dollars each. Um, and I, I wrote a blog post on Masterworks about this, but I think one of the mistakes that new collectors often make is purchasing art by brand name artists, but not focusing on example. And and a lot of people don't realize this, but Picasso during his lifetime actually created, uh, I think sixty sixty five thousand objects, if I have the number correct. So obviously, ninety nine percent of those things that he created aren't aren't what we would consider investment grade. Um, yeah, so, so focusing, focus on the example of, of the, um, of the work as, as well as the artist is, is really important. That's interesting. Like my tweets, 99% are worthless, but some are priceless. The, um, <laughs> we're about the same, about 65,000 of them. The, uh, I did not know that about, you know, I'm not a student of art, but yet I feel like I get it because I've treated myself and my wife went to Art Basel in Switzerland and it was kind of like life changing just to, just to have to appreciate it. Cause I couldn't afford any of it yet. You knew it was so good. And how do people get started? Like, how would you like, what's the easiest way to get started to learn? It, it, it's a, it's a very hard industry to, to learn about. Um, and, you know, I think part of that is that there's a little bit of a disconnect or, or there is a, a real disconnect between uh, art history and the art market. Um, and, and, and the art market for years has really operated with a lot of, um, you know, the lack of transparency around pricing. And, you know, if you walk into a gallery and, and whatever Chelsea in New York city, you know, it's very, it's very easy to be taken advantage of. So, um, it, it, it's challenging to learn about, but, but the best way to do it is just to kind of take action and get started, right? Go to a local gallery, learn about living artists, um, access some of the research tools online, like Art Price is a leading um, research firm in the art market that publishes a lot of good data. Masterworks, frankly, we, we publish probably more data on returns in the art market than, than, any, other, than any other research team. So there, there are resources online to, um, to help ramp people up, but it is, it's a long and complicated process. 
which leads to price discovery, which leads to opportunity. Obviously, obviously, it's a lot of risk, but there's obviously a lot of opportunity because of the price discovery. So, where do you find out about new artists? How do you like? How do you stay up on the industry? Is there like, a, if you like contemporary art, are there like a couple sites, or is there a couple uh, emails that you read? You know, I, I mean, in, in terms of, I guess, emer- what we would refer to as emerging artists, um, most most emerging artists are represented by sort of tier one galleries today. So galleries like Bogosian, galleries like David Zwerner, um, r- really the, the artists that, that those galleries are representing are the ones worth following. Uh, so obviously for those those people that are in New York, it's it's easy to sort of go to those those shows or those openings and learn about those artists. Um, that that is though, you know, that that's not the type of art that the masterworks really focuses on. So when you think about the art market, there's two different categories that are relevant. There's what there's what's called the primary market, which very simply means artwork that's never been sold before, and the secondary market, which which really just means art that's been sold multiple times. So we we really focus on the the secondary market just because we're we're not really trying to bring bring products um, to market that are too speculative. Um, and if you think about the the overall size of the market, out of that sixty eight billion dollars that sells every year in art, roughly half of that sells through public auction and half of that sells through private galleries. Um, so we we tend to be much much more focused on that secondary market um, or works that typically trade through auction. That's so cool. So, so how does someone get started? What was the, how, so you go down this rabbit hole, you want to be in the art business. How did you decide on this model? You know, to me, it, 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 it's been so interesting, right? So I've been starting technology companies for the past 20 years. Um, you know, I'm not even sure. I think Masterworks is, is something like the 10th company that, that I've done now. Um, but at the same time, I've been collecting art. And I, I think the investment characteristics on art are, are so fascinating for, for some of the reasons we've already talked about. Um, you know, Art Price publishes this this index called the Art Price 100, which very simply looks at the appreciation rate of art by the top 100 artists. And these are household name artists like Picasso, Basquiat, Warhol, etc. You know, artists that people have heard of. And if you look at just that segment of the art market, which consists of roughly 62% of that 68 billion dollars, um, those top 100 artists have outperformed the S and P for the past 20 years. Uh, Masterworks partnered with Citibank at the end of 2019 to do the first the first correlation study on the asset class and concluded that it, that it effectively, not surprisingly, is an uncorrelated asset class. So you have this uncorrelated outperforming asset class, but there's no way to invest in it unless you have millions of dollars to buy a painting, which is, is a very small portion of the world. Um, so to me, it's always, always seemed like a natural asset class to securitize. And, and when I think about the opportunity really high level, the thing that's so fascinating, you, you know, you mentioned inefficiencies earlier. I mean, we all have lots of friends that are in venture and private equity. And if you just look at that asset class, that's three and a half trillion dollars, but there's 6,000 plus firms that help people allocate to venture through kind of late stage buyout private equity. You look at art, it's $1.7 trillion. And the only way to allocate to it today is to work with Masterworks. And to me, that's, that's the really big opportunity that, that I think is interesting. And so what's the process? So you have this idea, you have blue chip idea where people can fractionally own art or like it's a, it's not an easy process. Can you walk through a little bit out of it? Yeah, it's an easy process. I mean, the, the original genesis of the idea was, was kind of, um, I guess, you know, maybe three years ago, um, three and a half years ago when a lot of people were talking about um, kind of tokenizing quote unquote asset classes with blockchain 
um, you know, we very quickly realized that, that, that these, these are securities and, um, they, they need to be qualified public offerings at the SEC. So we didn't, you know, we didn't go down that, that blockchain road, um, like a lot of companies did, but, but instead focused on, um, you know, sort of, sort of making sure these, these offerings were filed at the SEC and that, um, we had a broker dealer on them. So these, these are traditional financial products. Um, but that was the first time ever that a painting had been filed, uh, with the SEC to go public and someone sold shares in an artwork, which I guess from a financial community perspective, maybe is not that, that game changing, but definitely from an art world perspective, um, created a, a lot of conversation just because, you know, we, we were the first company to really take thousands of people who wanted to allocate to the asset class that had little to no interest or, or knowledge about art. Um, and we're looking at pure, purely as a financial vehicle and allowed them to, to do it for the first time. That's so cool. And what's been the, the coolest piece of art and how did that, how did that transaction go? <laughs> uh, you know, we, I mean, we sell these million dollar offerings now in, in less than, in less than a day, usually maybe two days. Um, I, you know, in terms of coolest piece of art, I mean, we've had lots of great paintings by artists like, like Basquiat, um, by artists like Monet, um, or pop culture artists like Banksy or cause. Um, and then, and then a lot of what we consider to be, you know, very interesting, uh, living, uh, you know, artists with, with lots of upward trajectory, like Cecily Brown, um, like Alex Katz, like Gunter Ford. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's necessarily a favorite. I, you know, our investors tend to look at returns and risk on these offerings and the, the historical returns range anywhere from, you know, 8% a year to above 30%. Um, we risk rate paintings into different risk buckets, depending on how much data density we have on the individual artist market. Um, so obviously the higher returns come with, with more risk and the, the lower returns tend to come with less risk. Interesting. And so are you constantly trying to just fill products for different niches? Yeah. And we, you know, we, we've tried to, we've tried to figure out what the right product market fit is in terms of do our investors tend to want, um, you know, lower risk, more blue chip paintings, or do they tend to want um, slightly higher risk, um, kind of living but established uh, artists? And we haven't really figured that out. I mean, it seems like out of the 60,000 something people that are on the platform, half want kind of these, these blue chip artists and half want, um, you know, higher return, but slightly more risk artists. Um, so that, that that's still a bit of a learning process. And the idea is obviously, you know, I'm an investor in Riley Rowan. So the idea is, oh, well, people would say, oh, I can't drive the car. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you also don't have to deal with all the headaches of owning the car. It's, it's a diversification thing. So, so with art, it's, a, it's the exact same pitch, correct? It's a true diversifier. It's the exact same pitch. Yeah. And, and we just think of this as, as an uncorrelated asset class that has a role in an investment portfolio because of the historical returns and the, the lack of correlation. We, we, you know, there's really no, there's really no lifestyle aspect to, to what we're doing other than just the, um, just the investment product itself. And how does the secondary market work? The secondary market is fairly, fairly straightforward. So the, the way to think about liquidity in these vehicles is one of two ways. Either, either you wait three to seven years until we sell the painting um, and we have a feature um, in the governance structure of these offerings where investors can force a sale after seven years if there isn't sufficient liquidity in the secondary market. 
um, or the, the, the second way to, to get liquidity is to sell your shares to someone else on the platform. And similar to Rally Road, like we, we've seen lots of interest and lots of activity in that secondary market. And that's, that's a core, core focus of ours um, going forward. We, we think it's really interesting to take an asset class, which historically just hasn't been that liquid and create a secondary market around it to, to provide more liquidity. Yeah, it's so cool. The and what's the minimum to get started? You know, we don't we don't typically we don't we don't really have minimums. So the way that um, that it works is an investor can go to the website, um, they can create an account. Um, so you hop on the phone with someone from our membership team who will typically answer questions about the asset class. Most people have have lots of questions because the you know as we've talked about, there's there's sort of a um, just a, a lack of education out there on on art as an asset class generally. And then uh, someone from the membership team will work with them to, to effectively set the minimum that's right for them based on the size of their investment portfolio. Um, so there really there isn't really isn't a minimum. It's just a bespoke process where we work with investors on a case by case basis with portfolio sizes um, all 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 over the map. And where do you buy them from? Like, how are you making your decisions? Well, historically, we had um, we had purchased a lot of work at auction. Uh, obviously, with with COVID, um, that changed things because auctions in the art market really stopped happening. So, for the past two or three months, we've been acquiring more privately. Although this week auctions are, are starting up again, um, and we we expect that to, to accelerate pretty quickly from from what we've seen. So, I think you know, I think going forward, it's, it's still a mix of, of sort of private and, and public sales, um, but probably still a slight, a slight emphasis on, on public auction. And so how does it, where does it get stored and can people see it or, or, you know, if you own a piece, like what, what's the process? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So historically we, we have had a gallery um, that we operate in Soho where people can come to the gallery, see the paintings, um, you know, we also have a storage facility in Delaware where, where many of the paintings reside. I think going forward, we have lots of conversations with artist foundations, um, and institutions or museums specifically about permanently lending a lot of the works, um, to, to those places for people to see them. And many of the artists that are still living that, that we work with like this idea of, of kind of democratizing ownerships in their works and then allowing them to, to be seen publicly. Um, or, or just by the general public. So I think going forward, that's that's a focus of ours: is how do we how do we take as many of these paintings as possible and just keep them on permanent loan in institutions where where people can see them. So it's kind of a win win. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of artists like that idea because they like the idea of their works being available to the public rather than um, rather than sort of trapped in these these ultra high end private collections. Yeah, interesting. And then, what do you expand to get? Is the mar- art market big enough, or is there other verticals? Do you, I know you know the guys at Rally Road. So, how do you think about the whole universe of of uh, rare collectibles? Yeah, for us, for us, it's just art. I mean, I think you know, as I mentioned, my background really is is in the art market. Um, so, I, you know, our our knowledge, kind of domain expertise, is really focused on that. Um, uh, you know, we we really don't know anything about other collectibles, so. It, it is just a, um, a specific focus on the art market. And you yourself, like when, because I, I collect and I don't know how to level up or what's important. I think it's like a conscious decision that, hey, you know, this is both hanging on my wall in an investment. Um, how do you decide when to level up? Like, or is it, is it everybody's different? 
you know, I think we, we sort of describe this as, as like the, uh, I can't remember, sort of this pyramid analogy um, that lots of collectors have. So if you think of, if you think of an artist market, like I mentioned Picasso's market, and you think of A examples, you know, which are less than, you know, 1% of his total market, B examples, which maybe are, you know, good paintings that aren't great paintings, maybe some really great drawings, and then C examples, which are maybe prints, um, edition ceramics, et cetera. Most collectors we find tend to trade up. So it's interesting, even though A examples tend to be at the very top of that, that pyramid, they, they often have uh, some of the highest demand as well, um, which, which is an interesting, interesting dynamic about the art market. So, you know, it's almost every great collector is always trying to find that better example by those artists that they collect over time. And they're, you know, they're selling their lesser example to get that, that better example. And so for you, are you more, do you sell stuff or do you just hold Do you like, how do you look at it? When do you decide to add some to your personal collection? How do you think about it? You know, my personal collection is a little bit different than, than the masterworks collection. So historically um, I've, I've really collected what's, what's referred to as abstract expressionism. So these are artists like Pollock, Rocco, Klein, de Kooning, Frankenthaler, Krasner, um, Gorky, et cetera. Uh, you know, those, those artists in today's world are, are hard to buy examples for less than $10 million. Um, so I, you know, my, my collection is very narrow and focused on, on what I think are great examples by those handful of artists. I, I, you know, those aren't necessarily artists that we would be bringing to the Masterworks platform just because, um, you know, they're probably, at least in most cases, slightly, uh, decelerating in terms of in terms of returns, most of most of that art was created in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, you know, which I guess now is kind of 70, 80 years later. Um, so we're we're focused on artists that are that are a little bit a little bit younger than those. But that's always that's always been my personal interest from an art history perspective. I think that was the most important time in American history um, in general when when artists started painting painting abstractly for the first time ever. So that, that's been a personal interest, but, you know, it's, it's different than how we think about things at Masterworks. How many people are at, at Masterworks today? It's 30, 30 something people, including our, our research team, um, primarily all, all based here in, in New York City. And does someone make the final decision or is it just you, you have people that are buyers and, 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 or do you have to sign off on this? Because they're still early enough in the, in the cycle where you're not doing IPOs every day, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's a great it's a great question. So the way we think about acquisitions, um, I guess, is a two step process. So the the very first step is the you know the primary role and responsibility of our research team is to identify which artists we think are accelerating most quickly um, over time, and we we do that through this proprietary data set that we've built and collected uh, from old auction catalogs over the past seventy years. Um, and, and from that data set and, and from that research, we, we, you know, this year we've identified, I think roughly 30 to 40 artists that we think are most investable, um, generally. And then, and then once we have that, that artist list, we essentially turn that list over to our acquisitions team, which tries to find good examples by those artists that, that the research team thinks are accelerating the most, the most, most quickly. Um, so our acquisitions team today, I think is tracking more than, 600 different paintings um, at any point in time that relate to those 30 or 40 artists. Um, and, and, and then really the paintings that we buy tend to be a combination of what, what is the best example by that artist that we think we can find 
at the most reasonable price. Um, and since we're, you know, we're tracking so many paintings at this point, there's just lots of interesting opportunities out there. And when does someone become diversified? Like what, like how many paintings do you think, you know, so if you're going to do masterworks and you say, listen, I'm going to put 10% of my portfolio in art or 5% in, in art, what, how many paintings do you think it takes? How would you say to someone who has a hundred grand that wants to, you know, um, like me, because I'm talking about myself right now, uncorrelated, you know, hashtag uncorrelated, meaning, you know, quotation marks uncorrelated, because everything at some point becomes correlated for at least a bit of time. So I'm going to put a hundred grand into the art market. How many paintings should I, should I go all in on something I believe in, or should I buy 20 of them? How should I budget myself? Yeah. You know, that, that's a seemingly easy question that technically is very complicated to answer. Um, we, we've spent a lot of time with that question. I don't have an exact answer to that other than to say, um, thematically, if you think about those two different risk buckets, we have the, the, the risk rating a, which tends to be those, those blue chip artists like Basquiat, Monet, um, Warhol, et cetera, versus the B bucket, which tends to be more established, but living artists. We think diversification in general is important. Um, we think it is more important uh, for the for the B bucket because it's very difficult to predict with some living artists who you know who's going to, to increase by whatever 10x in the future and who's going to incre- decrease by 30% in the future. So we, we we think diversification in that bucket is much more important. You know whether that means five paintings or whether that means 15 paintings. I'm I'm not exactly sure. Um, and then in the A bucket, we tend, we tend to see people take more sort of concentrated bets. Yeah. So interesting. Cause I'm like, it's just something that I, I know in my heart that I want to do. And I didn't know it existed until, uh, I saw the ads. I saw the ads, you guys were spending a little money on stock So I saw the ads and I was like, explored more. And, you know, I think there's been this idea floating around on the blockchain, but I just wasn't into the idea of you know, trust on the blockchain. If I'm going to own something that I have 10 grand in or 50 grand in, I got to feel like the FCC or FINRA is involved. And is that kind of the decision you made? Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, I think the other thing too that, that investors can can do on the, the masterworks.io website is go to this section called price database. And, and I mentioned the data that our research team has collected on returns uh, in the art market. So we, we've identified more than 80,000 paintings that have been purchased at a certain price and sold at a certain price and how much the collector made or lost on each of those transactions. And we published them uh, within the price database. So, you know, if you're interested in a particular artist, like let's say Basquiat, you can go to the price database, search for Basquiat and see um, every single recorded transaction where a person has bought and sold a Basquiat publicly at auction and how much money they made or lost. And it's a really nice way qualitatively for, for people that are learning about the art market to just get a get a very quick sense of individual artist markets and how how much money people are making or losing within those those markets. And so the future of art, where do you where do you see this? Like in a world where we've got like a kind of a global recession and pandemic, uh, have you seen an uptick in interest, or how does this recession play in? I mean, we we've definitely seen an up an uptick in interest, and we we certainly we certainly didn't know how to. Uh, you know, what to expect going into this. But I think just because people are struggling with, with where to put money today. I mean, if you look at Goldman's projections for long-term equities, I think after 2021, it's something like 3% a year. Um, finding things that, that lack correlation and are producing, frankly, meaningful returns into the future, I think is challenging 
for most people. And, and when you look at this asset class, the, the characteristics are interesting, right? Like it's a global asset class. Um, historically, it's been tied to the ultra wealthy, um, you know, returns, at least for a majority of the asset class have been equal, if not better to, to public equities. So when we think of, of what drives art prices in the future, we tend to think about um, just the 1% becoming wealthier for, for better, or for worse. We think that's a dynamic that's going to continue. And then the, the other thing, which is obvious, but I, I think is really unique to art as an asset class is that you, you have consistent or constant declining supply. So when an artist is living, they paint a bunch of paintings. When they, when they pass away, they slowly start donating those collectors that own them slowly start donating them to, to museums and you have a shrinking supply. So unlike an asset class like gold, which is constantly being mined every year and supplies actually increasing, you, you have a really u- unique um, dynamic where supply is decreasing for art. And is it bad taste that I root against, you know, I've bought some art and I check in on my artists to make sure they're healthy and kind of deep down <laughs> want them to be, is that, is that yeah. immoral? I, I always get that question. Like, what, you know, what, what do you think of, um, you know, what's the impact of an artist dying and how does that impact the art market? It, it, there's nothing significant about the artist passing away other than the fact that they can no longer create, create work. Right. So the, the, uh, so the supply at that point just starts, starts declining into the future, which tends to drive prices up. But, but unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the conversation of death always does seem to, uh, to reoccur when talking about artist markets and, uh, and prices. But if they die before, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, if they die and they're never were discovered, I mean, it's like the Picasso way is obviously be prolific. I think, I think in general, it just pays to be prolific. What, uh, and is prolific, is it, are people become more prolific or less prolific? Do you think in the art world as, as in artists in general? Oh, I think, I think definitely, I mean, there's, I think definitely more prolific, you know, we, um, we just recently had this <clears throat> offering by an artist named Pierre Soulage, uh, who is one of, of the few living artists to have a living retrospective at the Louvre. I think the only other two artists that have ever, that's ever happened to in history were Picasso um, and Chagall. And the, the fascinating thing about Soulage in today's world uh, is the only studio assistant uh, that, that helps him with his paintings is, is his wife, which, you know, in today's world is almost unheard of. I mean, almost every major living artist has, you know, dozens, uh, if not more studio assistants that are helping them paint their paintings, create their work. Um, it's a very, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I guess, I mean, that, that dynamic did, did exist centuries ago, even with artists like Rembrandt, um, you know, some, some, some of your listeners may be familiar with sort of attribution, like, you know, the school of Rembrandt. Um, so, you know, it does, it has happened for many years, but, I think that trend is 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 increasing in today's world. And and where are the best artists coming out of today? Do you think? You know, I I do think that the art world still um, has a bias towards towards certain art schools. You know, like you know Yale MFA is um, is well regarded in the art world, but you know it's probably you know I I think galleries maybe I think galleries do have the biggest impact on an artist's career, you know, being represented by Gagosian, being represented by, uh, whatever David Zorner, like I mentioned earlier, you know, that, that can really change the trajectory for an artist. Um, so many, you know, the, the, obviously the, the central hub of the art community, at least in the U S is, is New York. Um, but yeah, gallery representation matters as, as well as education. 
What do you think, obviously your parents got you in, involved in, curious at least about art, you know, for me, it was my family. My dad collected everything from snuff bottles to rugs to, but I hated his taste, you know, other than this calder that he had, which was modern. Do you think the world has become just more modern in its, in its flavor for art? Do you think they appreciate better than the, the old masterpieces? This, this is a, it's a, it's a really critical question. And I, I would say it's with one of the, the things that I found most um, interesting when we first started getting some data out of our research team at the, at the very beginning of Masterworks. So there, there is no question from a data perspective that appreciation rate in the art market follows recency, but recency is measured in very wide intervals. So when we look at art created by old masters, for example, um, uh, I think even art created um, prior to World War II, uh, maybe with certain exceptions in, in the Impressionist category, most of that art is appreciating at less than 2 to 3% per year. If we look at art created after 1970, um, most of that art is appreciating at above 10% a year. So you can, you can go back in time and really look at those, those prior periods, and what you see is that appreciation rates decelerate as, as art gets older. And, and I think that's, that's not that surprising. I mean, even, even if you think about World War II art today, I mean, that was 70 years ago. So a lot of that art is just starting to, to slowly, slowly fall out of fashion. Um, and, you know, paintings by, by an artist like Rembrandt, they're just not, they're not that, that fashionable today. I mean, most collectors just don't, don't want to hang that necessarily in their home. Yeah, I got to think like, uh, you know, the last thing I want is to own a piece and never be able to hang it. So I'm just, I'm kind of intrigued by the whole masterwork thing. I really think it's a bold idea. Obviously, there's a class of companies doing this now. Is it something in the water or is it just that moment in time or, or is it something that, you know, were you an investor for a long time in the markets? You know, like, is it like what inspired you to, to start it? Yeah, it, it really, it really was just the um, just owning art, kind of seeing and appreciate, making frankly a, a lot of money on it, and um, and recognizing that it is it is a real asset class rather than just um, um, you know I guess um, something that, that collectors are doing for lifestyle or other reasons. But but there's no there's, there, you know there there really isn't a way for people to kind of gain exposure to these multi-million dollar paintings other than, than masterworks today. Um, so we think it's, we think it's super interesting. I mean, we just fundamentally believe in this world where just like people have allocations to real estate, they should have some allocation to art. Um, it's a similar asset class performance we think is arguably better, but there's, there's no way to do it. Well, I appreciate like, I mean, this is such a great contribution to like the modern era of collecting and investing. Um, What's like the, the one thing that you've learned that you wish you knew about starting something that like is ahead of its, it's always going to be ahead of its time because people don't know they need it. Right. So what's the one thing you've learned in trying to like building this over the few years? Well, we didn't, I mean, you know, when we really first um, started selling our, our first offering, which was um, slightly over a year ago now, I mean, we, we didn't, we, we weren't convinced there was product market fit, meaning we weren't convinced that people necessarily wanted to allocate a portion of an investment portfolio to art. Um, you know, we thought conceptually that sounded interesting to people. And, and definitely when we talked about the idea of investing in a Monet, they, they really liked that. I, I think today with 60 something thousand investors on the platform 
and you know selling out these offerings very quickly, we're we're definitely convinced that there is product market fit there, um, and that people really do like the idea of, of allocating in the asset class. So that that's a very basic learning. You know, another learning that that we had, which I think is interesting, is we we thought early on there would be this product market fit where people who were collectors who were kind of in the art market already. Um, buying $100,000 paintings but couldn't afford $5 million paintings would invest in these vehicles. And I, and I think, you know, we've seen less of that. Like, we've definitely seen more investors on the platform that are just doing it purely based on historical returns, um, the risk profiles that we publish, and are, are frankly less focused on the individual art itself. And they're just viewing it as a diversifier to kind of enhance uh, returns on their existing portfolio. Um, so both of those things were, were critical learnings that, that we didn't know a couple of years ago. All right. Well, fantastic. I'm, I'm really excited, uh, for that. I want to check back in on this. Do you invest in other things? Do you, do you follow the markets at all or you make private investments as well? You know, I mean, I, as, an, as an entrepreneur, I mean, I mainly, I've mainly invested in my own, my own companies, um, historically. So still, still own and control several, several businesses in the ad tech space, um, in the fintech space, um, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, I, I have a pretty, pretty basic, um, pretty basic conservative portfolio, probably by most people's standards. So as an entrepreneur, you focus, so that's a good lesson for other people out there too. I mean, invest in yourself and kind of chase your passions here. Um, and then what about a mobile app? Not in the works or potentially, but you think it's a more of, of a desktop world for this type yeah, of Yeah, you know, we, you know, we don't really have... Um, any, any near-term plans to, to, to develop an app? I, I think it's, we, we get that question all the time. I, I, I think it is something that investors would, um, would, would like and, and want, but we, we, it hasn't become a priority on our, on our product roadmap as of yet. Okay, great. Um, can you, anything, uh, a question that maybe have been triggered by you or no? I own a, uh, painting by Edward Munch. Um, is he, how is he doing internationally these days? Let's <laughs> say if you, if you if you own a painting by him, uh, that's that's a that's a that's a uh, that's a great a great thing to have. Um, you know, it's 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 a question. It's a good question. His market's been interesting because he's definitely set some price records over the past um, five, six, seven years. So I'm not sure what the acceleration looks like, but you, you can actually you should go to our website and, and search for his name and see um, see what the returns see how the returns have been trending. Um, but I but I think I think pretty good. Sounds good. I appreciate your input. I, I really appreciate you coming to talk to uh, our audience here on uh, Panic with Friends. Is there been an art panic before I left? Has there been a time where, like, has there been a, a run on art? There, there, so there hasn't, there hasn't been since the, the Japanese crisis of kind of 1990, um, where Japanese really did run up the art market and then, and then sold off um, – sold off a lot of those paintings at, at deep discounts due to, due to, you know, sp the specific crisis that was going on in Japan. Um, since then it, it, it really, you know, it's it continued to, to thrive. I mean, the, the biggest decrease in the art market, um, was in 2008, 2009, where we calculated the correlation factor between art and the S and P to be roughly uh, 0.4, meaning that it, the art market declined 40% as much as, as the S and P, um, so still didn't, didn't decline nearly as, as much as other asset classes. Um, you know, we did see the art market decline in 2016 slightly because presumably of capital controls in China or Brexit. Um, 
But, you know, outside of that, like the art market actually increased during the dot-com bubble bursting in 2000. Um, it's continued to perform perform pretty well um, overall. And then do you, you have a store in Soho, too? Is there a gallery? Yeah, we've got a gallery at, uh, at Broom and West Broadway where, where people can just pop in and, um, and see the paintings. Is your office there as well, or are you, that's just a, just a studio? Yeah, no, we have, we have the gallery on the main floor, and then we've got two other floors um, where the team is uh, in, in the same building. Well, I look forward to coming visiting the, uh, and doing, uh, and diving deeper on this. I appreciate it. It's good to have somebody in the art world that I can call even uh, once in a while because it's just such an esoteric price discovery, fun world for passionate people. And I, th- and, and I think we live in a creative era right now. So it'll, in, a, in a digital world, I'm very bullish on, on, in an infinite digital world, I'm pretty bullish on rare assets um, from the physical world. What about digital art? Is that going to be a thing or is it just too much? I, I, I personally struggle with it. I mean, I, I, I feel like at some point I'm going to get that wrong, but I, you know, I guess I, I always think of, and um, you know, what was the, uh, the, you know, the crypto kitties phenomenon. Um, yeah. I, you know, it, it, it certainly happens. So I hate to say that it will never happen, but at least in our world, I guess what we consider culturally significant art, Today, um, you know, it's hard for me to see kind of anything digital being really "quote unquote" investment grade. Um, but uh, you know, I'll probably be wrong at some point on that. And what about uh, crypto itself? Any opinion? Uh, you know, I'm. You know, it's funny. I, I I used to own a lot of Bitcoin. Um, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with a lot of people who um, who were who were heavy in, in, in into that market. I, I don't. I personally struggle today with really seeing the um, the use cases for for crypto. I mean, I think three years ago there there were lots of startups that had lots of interesting um, potential use cases, but we we really haven't seen anything transpire. Um, so you know, I'm probably uh, more bearish on on crypto or Bitcoin specifically than than I've ever been. Got it. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time. I'll see you at the studio when New York opens. I'm glad you're home safely in the city and, and uh, bringing it back. And Knut, man, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm kind of more friendly with you after hearing this, this rare artist that you collected. Did you inherit that, Knut? Yeah, I sure did. All right. Well, let's uh, talk. I'm not going to give you my address now. Would it, would it work on Masterworks or no? You, it's not the type of right type of artist. Yeah, you could. I mean, you could definitely send it to our acquisition team. We're happy to happy to take a look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think his market is interesting. Um, you know, obviously the uh, the example matters to us, but but he's he's a he's a great artist that that has continued to accelerate in price over over time. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, we'll have you back uh, to follow up in in the next rotation. Um, and uh, best of luck. Good to, good to chat. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks. That's very interesting. Yeah, interesting stuff, huh? You didn't tell me about this. I don't usually tell people about it. Now I told the whole world. Well, now I'm... you told the fucking everybody. Yeah. Now you're a marked man. Who's <laughs> Edward Bush? What's his name? Is Edward, he a Norwegian? Edward artist? Bush, yeah. We'll, we'll go with that. His name is Munch. Yeah, M-U-N-C-H. Munch, it's pronounced in English. Right, I know that. Where is he from? He's from, he's from Norway. He's one of the classic yeah, guys. Exactly. Probably the most famous right, one from that country. Yeah. Hang on, what does he do? What does he do? Seals and killer whales? Well, hang on, let me just see. <laughs> no, not really. He, he's got oil rigs. Hang on. Edward Munch. Vicap- oh, he's got a screaming baby. 
Oh, it's very interesting. All right, way to go. That was cool. Masterwork's cool, huh? Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's very unique. Very hard problem. All right, everybody. Panic with friends. Canute, thanks for organizing. Thank you. And hopefully everybody got something out of that. We will be back soon. You can search my name, Howard Lindzen, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We talk to investors and entrepreneurs around unique ideas and big trends. We think fractional investing and the way Masterworks is using this technology is just another example of this. So uh, tell your friends, subscribe, and we will see you soon.